Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. All right. Thank you, Kendra. All right. If you guys would pray with me one final time, and we'll get, we'll get cracking here. Father, we thank you for allowing us to meet up here. Uh, we thank you for, for mission and for this building and, and for this uh, beautiful repaired uh, air conditioning, which I forgot to mention earlier, that has uh, replaced the sound of a wild typhoon behind me, which we all appreciate, Father. So, uh, Lord, thank you for uh, just your blessings over us. I pray that this message would be one from you that would be used to encourage and to strengthen and to comfort your people. And uh, I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, so hey, we, uh, we're good. We're our, uh, our conditioning's back. Both sides, which is great. Doesn't it feel so wonderful in here? Hopefully. If you were like, it's still hot, then be like, ah, oh, shoot, I don't know what to say now. All right. Sorry, my pages are all out of order. Okay. All right. When I was a young man, young, young boy, actually, the first ever church that I went to was a missionary Baptist church. And if you're familiar, those churches are predominantly African-American, which was Super cool experience. I went with my family, and uh, probably the first 10 years of me going to church, that was my context. And if you're not familiar, if you've never been to a black church before, the emphasis on worship is like, this is top notch. Like the worship, specifically the musical worship, was the apex of everything. That was why you were there. And honestly, like, Again, if you've never been to a gospel church like this before, where you've got the choir, you've got some like incredibly talented, like our church had an organ player, had a keyboard player, had this super sick guitarist who could just shred, but not shred in a way that took away from the glory that was happening to the Lord. It was amazing. There was this drummer who sat behind this like sheet of glass that just, it was amazing. There was so many cool things happening there. But as a kid, I was always nervous around worship time, and here's why. Uh, depending on how like roughly Pentecostal your background was, which is a term that has a lot of, I'm not even going to get into, um, you may be familiar, like, Every Sunday at my church was kind of like playing a game called, Will the Holy Ghost Show Up? And if the Holy Ghost shows up, all bets are off. The 20-minute worship service turns into a 60-minute worship set. You've, you, like, you like this song that's playing for 10 minutes? Well, great. Now that song is playing for 45 minutes. Sometimes, I'm not even joking, sometimes there was no sermon. The sermon would be thrown out because the, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so like significant that the pastor would come up and be like, look, I've got nothing to say. <laughs> like I remember a couple times the pastor 
pastor would stand up at the pulpit and he'd be like, listen, the sermon that I prepared for you is not as important as what the Holy Ghost is telling us right now. So we just need to sit back and listen. And I'm like 12 wearing a three-piece suit and I look to my left and someone's like bawling their eyes out and I look to my right and someone is face down on the rug, just like completely caught up. And it wasn't my favorite. It was, <laughs> it was, it was, it was not. It was, it was a little bit challenging for me because I felt like there was so much emphasis placed on like welcoming the Holy Spirit into this place and the way you could measure the Holy Spirit was often by how emotional people got. And even to this day, I still struggle with like showing my emotions in a really deep, vulnerable way. So I'm not thinking I want to cry in front of 300 people here. Like, so this idea of worship to me growing up always got tangled in my experiences as a kid because people would say, oh, well, when we're in heaven, we're just worshiping forever. It's just nonstop worship. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, it's going to be like, like I'm going to be stand. Because also you don't sit during these worship sets either. It's very disrespectful. So I'm imagining heaven like this concert you can't leave with just <laughs> this pounding organ playing and you just can't sit down. And I'm like, this is heaven? Like, I mean, it sounds better than the alternative, but man, I, I don't know what to do with this. So so all that to say, worship is a term that comes with, I think, a lot of baggage, at least for myself, probably for many of us. And so, and honestly, just the topic of what is worship is probably something we're going to try and spend a reasonable amount of time kind of unpacking because worship, unlike prayer, like prayer is a thing that you do. Reading the Bible is something you sit down and do. Worship is kind of messy and it takes a little bit of a, a little bit of unpacking. So we're going to, we're going to try and get into this. So bear with me. I also think that worship is kind of a hard topic to explain because since our, uh, our, our culture is growing less and less religious, worship isn't something that people just go out to do anymore. Very rarely do people who aren't religious say, oh yeah, uh, well, after I go get some groceries on Saturday, I'm gonna stop and worship for a couple hours and then I'll probably go to back home and uh, you know, vacuum the living room. Like, Worship is kind of working its way out of our vocabulary as a culture, which makes it even harder to try to understand. So yeah, bear with me, here we go. So let's start at the basics. Dictionary definition describes worship as, quote, reverence offered to a divine being or supernatural power or a form of religious practice with its creed and ritual. Worship was also a practice that was very familiar to people throughout history because religion was kind of a part of how society functions. So I have a handful of examples that um, you know, we're going to kind of pull from. So uh, religions all over the world would develop all independently of each other to use their styles of worship and these worshipful rituals to 
become performers in the supernatural realm. There's something about worship that's meant to elevate someone from the, the earthly place to something greater. So what we have here is a, a ritual that the Aztecs would perform called the new fire ceremony. Um, Aztecs apparently just really, really, really loved human sacrifice. So what they would do was they would uh, sacrifice a person and then they would light a, tur- a torch. And this would happen every 52 years because in their religion, they believed that the sun was going to exhaust itself after 52 years if they didn't perform this ritual. And so every 52 years, they would do this thing to make Make sure the sun would keep on burning and the world would continue to exist. In ancient Egypt, there was a ritual called the opening of the mouth ceremony, which they would perform on recently deceased individuals to prepare them for the transition to the afterlife. So it was literally like preparing the body to be able to bridge the, you know, the long journey from this world into the next. Oh no, my slides are broken. That's okay. All right, imagine, if you will. Um, <laughs> there, was, there is a uh, ritual called Vesak that uh, the Buddhists all over the world, yeah, there we go. All right, that Buddhists all over the world will celebrate to commemorate the birthday of the Buddha. And they will gather in temples, they will sing hymns together, and they'll make these uh, offerings of candles or flowers. And in ancient Greece, ah, my phone's just... Uh, And in ancient Greece, there is a common practice where you would make an offering or an animal sacrifice at a uh, temple of a god that you were seeking favor from. So if there was a god of warfare and your son was in the middle of a battle, you would go and make a sacrifice or an offering at the temple of the god of war in hopes that that god would have favor on your family. And so all of these are just these brief, brief snapshots that are still significant because it shows that all these methods of worship were meant to be these kind of transcendent actions that would bridge human existence and the world that is full of spirits and the divine. And, uh, and I want to kind of do a little bit more with that thought later, but we're going to go back to it. So if we could go to the next slide... There we go. Thank you. Um, Now, if we enter into the story that we are familiar with as Christians and as believers that starts in the Old Testament, God gave rituals and routines to his people, this nation that he had established called Israel, this people group that he was committing himself to walking with and to spending time with and to instructing in the ways of life. God would give them holidays to celebrate. He would teach them about a system of animal sacrifice. He would tell them about dietary restrictions, what to eat, what not to eat, how to prepare your food, all these different types of things. And uh, the holidays that they were celebrating were often something of remembrance. It was... uh, 
you know, for example, one of the holidays was called Passover, which if we're familiar with the story of all of the slaves being taken out of Egypt, this was God telling them, hey, remember this great thing that I did for you that, um, you know, has a lot of significance to your story. Now, an interesting development starts to happen during the time of the prophets, though, which was the prophets were these men who were called by God to instruct and to basically call out the people of Israel when they were acting a way that they weren't supposed to. And over and over again, you read this message of God saying, I don't like the feasts and the festivals that you're celebrating. I don't like your fasting I don't like your holidays. I don't like the stuff you're doing at the temple. It is not pleasing to me. Why is God saying that? Well, the reason the prophets gave is because despite the fact that they were performing all of these rituals meant to please God, there was a level of corruption in their personal lives that was actually making their worship not worth receiving to God. At these times, people were oppressing the poor. At these times, people were turning their hearts to other gods. At these times, the, the courts that were meant to be just and to handle topics of justice were corrupt. People were being taken advantage of, specifically the vulnerable and the innocent. So God's like, listen, dude, like I, uh, it doesn't matter to me that your rituals of worship are so clean and so perfect. The fact that you are living all super corruptly behind the scenes means that your worship doesn't actually mean very much to me. Their acts of worship were not satisfactory to God because God wanted something deeper than that. Now, if we, uh, if we fast forward to the time of Jesus, we see the Son of God coming into the picture, coming back to his people and we see that Jesus isn't going toe-to-toe with the rejects and the outcasts of the society. Jesus is actually arguing the most with these very religious people of that time. The people who kept the fasts, the people who celebrated the holidays, the people who were making the sacrifices, these were the ones that Jesus was going face-to-face with. And Jesus was saying, listen, you you guys pray all the time and you think you're better than other people because you pray. But when you pray, you you have these loud, elaborate, like obnoxious prayers that that you're you're only praying for yourself because you want to look cool to everyone else around you. So Jesus is like, yeah, you're praying, but your prayers are obnoxious and God's not receiving that. Jesus says, yeah, you're fasting, you're, you're not eating food, and you're walking around looking all hungry and pathetic. And Jesus says, God doesn't care about your fasts if you're just walking around to look holy and righteous because of it. Jesus continues to use this phrase that's actually back from one of the prophets where he says, these people flatter God with their words, but their hearts are far from him. So the question we're asked with is, well, if, if worship isn't just prayer and uh, 
fasting, and all of these little commands that God gave us, then what is worship? If we look to Romans 12, there's this passage that I think actually sheds a lot of light here. This is Paul, one of the early church leaders, writing to a church um, not far after Jesus' ministry. And he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. For this is your true and proper worship. So we get the sense that God is actually looking through all of these spiritual disciplines and actions and things that we're doing and he's looking through our prayers and our Bible reading uh, plans and all of that stuff. And he's looking to something much deeper. God is actually wanting all of us to be in a state and a posture of worship. He doesn't just want a handful of religious actions and deeds. So what is worship? Again, we'll go back to this question. Here's, here's my answer. Worship is the mindful devotion to God in our religious acts, in our personal lives, and in our hearts and minds. In other words, worship is everything. And everything is worship. Actually, no, that doesn't work both ways. I shouldn't have said that. So I guess stick to your notes, John. Now, I want to return, before we we dwell into this, I do want to take us in just one interesting direction here, which is that we mentioned that worship throughout the the, the realm of human history, all the examples that we used uh, from the Greeks and from the Egyptians, worship is always this kind of, uh, you know, it's the Michelangelo painting of uh, the, it's the hand reaching towards God. Worship and, and all of these rituals are always trying to bring ourselves to climb that Jacob's ladder and find ourselves in the place of God's presence. We're trying to subvert and reach out of what is physical and what is man-made and find something supernatural and special and sacred. Now, the beautiful thing is that if, we're, if we buy into what the Christian faith tells us, it's that when Jesus left his disciples, he said, guys, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and he'll be with you wherever you go and in everything that you do. Which means that if we believe in the promises of the Bible, we are actually walking day by day with the spirit of God, who is that bridge between what we see as normal and what we see as spectacular. Because God has given us himself through the Holy Spirit, we can experience God and we can experience the blessing of divine love and presence in literally everything we do. There's never a restriction there. All of our lives and our dreams and our failures and everything can be sparked with this lightning of divine love and presence. And that should kill 
the things in our lives that we see as incredibly mundane and boring and without purpose. And that's honestly what, what kills me when we fall into this trap sometimes. You know, there's a few worship songs that I hear where it's always saying like, Holy Spirit, will you come? Like, Holy Spirit, will you show up? And it's like, dude, if we're like, we're, we're Christians, the Holy Spirit doesn't just leave. Like if we're believers, he's there already. Like he's with us and he's promised to stay with us until the day that we can be even more with God. And so like, but we still have this relationship of like almost imagining this push and pull. And I just, uh, I think that's a little shady, but again, it's another sermon, another sermon. So um, now that we've established what worship is, and now that we've basically said that worship is quite possibly more complex and multifaceted than we could imagine. Now let's try to make a couple practical steps for how we can like actively strive to worship in our day-to-day lives. So we have three things that we can look at and hopefully my slides will work. Ha! See, I don't even need to. Mike's, Mike's the man. All right, our first is to remember. Our first step is to remember. I think we need to... Um, in our day-to-day lives, remember the things of God. Like, remember the things that he's said, his relationship to us, and the fact that he has said that he is very present with us. I think that one of the easiest ways that we can fall out of having that ongoing posture of worship is that we can become uh, just functionally unaware of God in the places that we go and in the things that we do. I think that we have to consciously try to remember God where we go in our day-to-day lives. You know, one of my favorite uh, little books takes like half an hour to read is Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Like, This dude literally was a monk who would spend probably 16 hours a day uh, making soup for his fellow monk friends and then washing dishes. But you would have thought this dude was like in the inner room of the temple, like just taking trips to the third heaven. Just this dude had such a deeply worshipful mentality because he didn't see anything as plain. He didn't see anything as boring or detached from, like I said, this spark of God that exists in everything that we're doing. And so I think that we have to very consciously try to remember God in our day-to-day lives, especially the mundane things. And I think to us in this culture, that can be especially difficult because we really struggle with silence, I know that our culture struggles with silence because they put TVs at gas pumps. It just starts screaming celebrity news at me when I'm already just lamenting having to pay $4.50 to fill up my gas tank. Like, and and now Maria Menounos showed up. Like, what's going on here? Like... But it's true. Like, I, if I'm driving, I need music or a podcast going. If I'm sleeping, I need white noise. Like, I realize in myself, I have so much, like, discomfort with just that moment of silence. But I think that silence is a step we have to take because that is where we invite ourselves to remember God. And I think that's very important. I also think that um, remembering 
should also lead us deeper into religious acts. I think that a lot of times when people take this whole like, oh, worship is everything, everything we do can be worshipful, they sometimes take it to these far off extremes where they're like, well, I don't go to church, I take walks in nature, that's my church. Or, you know, I don't pray, I just read uh, a, a fiction book that I like because that's my prayer and stuff like that. And like, listen, like, Taking walks in the wilderness and uh, seeing how beautiful God's creation is, is amazing, but it's not church. And reading books that are good, assuming they're good books, don't read terrible books, like that's fine, but that's also not prayer. Like, I think that we almost have this tendency to oppose something that looks too religious, when in reality, I think God gave us these things to help us more than they are to, to harm us. And remember, like the problem with the Pharisees and with the people who were being called out as hypocrites throughout the Bible is not that they were doing religious things. It's that their religious acts were colored with hypocrisy. They didn't believe in the significant presence and actual worship of God. They were completely caught up in the religious stuff without the actual heart of it. So I don't know, all that. There we go. See? Um, remembrance, that's good. Next one. Adore. Adore. Now, I, I believe genuinely that the high points the, the summit of every relationship that you can pursue, whether it's with uh, a friend, uh, a loved one, uh, a family member, or even with God, with the divine, is not just acknowledgement. It's to love and to delight in one another. And I genuinely believe that for us as like heirs of a broken and struggling humanity for us to be able to fix our hearts in adoration and deep pleasure in the God that made us, I think it's genuinely the most healing experience we can have as human beings. I think that to be able to look to God and not just acknowledge him and not just say, all right, I see you there, but to be able to say, no, you are the God that made me. You are a God who has tremendous kindness and pleasure and joy over me. And I delight myself in you. I love you. I think that is the highest thing that we can aspire to as Christians. And I think it's an incredibly healing thing to experience. And I also want to say that that doesn't mean that every day we're always going to find ourselves in a place of just singing joy and hallelujahs and stuff like that. Sometimes when we actually present ourselves before God, we realize, oh shoot, I'm actually mad at God all of a sudden. And the good news is, if we look at the book of Psalms, uh, turns out singing worship to God isn't exclusive to telling God that we think he's awesome all the time. There's lots of psalms that are like, hey, God, uh, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm not a big fan of you right now. Um, and there's plenty of psalms that say, God, uh, you're kind of tearing me down. I don't have a friend to turn to. You're, uh, you're just kind of ripping me in half right now, and I'm kind of bummed about that. Like Those are legitimate prayers and worshipful songs given to God. And so I think that we can afford to be honest 
I think that we should aspire that, in fact, or I'm sorry, aspire to that, in fact. But I think that as believers, we should genuinely try as often as we can, as often as we get the chance to try to captivate ourselves with the love of God in some way. I know that for some, that's devotionals. I'll be completely honest. A lot of devotionals, especially modern ones, just don't do it for me. Maybe it's just the language that's used, but sometimes I just feel like it's going over my head. It's not my favorite. For me personally, again, I mentioned Brother Lawrence. Something about a 15th century French monk just resonates with me so much deeper than uh, somebody who wrote a devotional 10 years ago. I don't know why, but... I think we can find something that works for us. It's like when Andy was speaking about prayer a couple weeks ago. You don't have to have a prayer closet. Maybe you have a prayer track that you walk. Maybe you have a prayer route that you drive. But take the time to do that. And I think that we should be curiously seeking for something, whether it's music, whether it's reading, whether it's just taking the time to think and reflect of what will make my heart delight in God. I think that's an experience that we should seek out. And the last one is trust. Now, as much of a borderline bummer it is to say this, I I believe it with all my heart, obedience is a part of worship. Obedience is a part of worship. Again, when we look at the hypocrites, and we don't even have to look at the Bible, honestly. We can look at religious leaders, whether they're ones who made headlines or whether they're ones that we've interacted with in our own lives. There is something deeply, deeply unsettling and troubling about somebody who throws themselves out there as if they are like God's spokesperson to the world, speaking with all of the arrogance and pride that they could, And then it comes out that, oh, yeah, homie had an affair. Oh, yeah, dude was uh, doing all this shady stuff on the side. Like, but we know the reason that hypocrisy is such an issue, because these were people who, like, did not actually trust God as they were seeking worship. They had all this secret stuff on the side. And so obedience is going to lie in our worship. And honestly, like, I believe that there is a deep worship that happens when we're able to recognize that God is calling us into something that we may or may not want to do. And we can say wholeheartedly, Jesus, I don't know what you're asking of me. And I can say clearly, I'm just not a fan. I don't want to do this. But because I trust you, because I love you, because I recognize your goodness in my life and that you're my God, you're my savior, you're everything, I will do this. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. Sometimes it's just recognizing, ah, oh, shoot, I... This has really been bothering me. I really need to do this thing that I've been putting off for a long time. But I believe that when God presents us with something challenging, with something that really chafes against our personal values, but we know wholeheartedly is what we should be doing, when we can step out on faith into doing that thing that we don't want to do, I believe that's worship. 
I believe that God looks at that and is genuinely pleased and delighted in it. So as we, uh, as we reflect on these ideas of what worship truly is, um, I hope that you guys could remember, remember, adore, and trust, or as a trusty reminder, rat. Um, whenever you're thinking of worship, just think rat, or possibly um, art. Uh, I realize if you switch the letters around, you could have not been rat, but it was, it was rat first, so that's all, that's all I really got. So it is, uh, <laughs> so as we, uh, as we close here, one thing I just want to kind of encourage you guys with is that um, this can feel really like overwhelming in some ways. This can feel kind of over the top because the, the fact is God doesn't just want our Sunday selves. He doesn't want our, uh, our church selves. He doesn't want our Sunday's finest God is actually entirely interested in everything about us. He genuinely wants our hearts. He wants our minds. He wants our actions. He wants everything. And that can feel challenging. That can feel overwhelming. There's this amazing picture of worship that we see at times in scripture where it shows that worship is not just something that people are giving to God, but it's actually this complete all of creation, the entire cosmos just reflecting this praise and this worship. Like we're, we're told in the scriptures that the stars in the sky are proclaiming the glory of God. There's glimpses of, of the mountains grumbling and making sounds of worship to God. There's, there's, there's talk of, of stones crying out to bring worship to the God that created them, of trees clapping their hands and waving in worship. I think the beautiful thing about worship is it doesn't live or die with our strength and our ability to make it good. Worship is a song that's a being experienced all around us. When we walk around outside, we are walking in the midst of a harmony of global cosmic worship. The beauty is God's just calling us to join. He's just calling us to join into a song that's already being sung all throughout creation. One that we're invited to join into. Because the worship of God is not just the beauty of God being realized, it's actually the beauty of all things. And when we see this story, this good news, this, this, this narrative that God has invited us into, it's not just God being praised and given the glory that he's due. It's God sharing this glory and his beauty with all of creation. Like we're invited into that. We're invited into this place of healing and goodness and beauty 
God recognizes our shortcomings and our, our falling shorts and, and everything that we, that we neglect to do, God is recognizing and God is calling us into that place of healing and glory and goodness. And, uh, and that's pretty cool. So yeah, um, pray with me, please. Father, thank you for, uh, yeah, thank you for, for worship. Um, even as I say that word, I'm just like, gosh, I don't think I have a singular image in my mind when the word worship comes out of my mouth, it still feels really complex. Uh, we recognize that you want all of us, which is amazing and terrifying at the same time. We also acknowledge that you know who we are and when we don't give you everything that we have, when our thoughts and our hearts and our minds are not fully attuned to you, you don't spit us out and you don't reject us. You accept us as we are, as long as we have that bit of faith that trusts you. And so please help us to trust you and help us to see the beauty of the experience of worship and all that it is, because it is really, really amazing. And it is not plain and it is not boring. So help us to see that. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, coolio. Well, hey, uh, thanks for listening. We are going to follow up to that with a handful of thanks. We here at Mission are known to worship in three distinct ways. Uh, one is through the Lord's Supper, which I'm gonna explain in a little bit more detail in a second. The second is the band is gonna come back up and lead us in musical worship. And finally, we are going to worship through giving. Now, honestly, we, we looked at all those things that we talked about, uh, remembering and adoring and trusting. I think that all of those things can be found in the worship of giving. And, you know, as a, as a church, we rely on the giving of our people and we, um, we try to teach a principle of giving that is both cheerful and generous. So if you um, are committed to giving to us, we want to say we are really, really grateful for that. And if you have not taken the opportunity to uh, worship through giving and supporting what we're doing here as a church, as a, uh, as a light in our community, please continue, consider doing so. Um, yeah. So uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have a brief moment of... Uh, confession time, this is going to give us a chance to do the first point. We're going to take some time to remember and to reflect on our lives in the, under the spotlight of, of Jesus in his, in his gaze and under his, uh, under his eyes. And so we want to take a chance to just pray whatever we feel is, uh, is burdening us, whatever we feel we need to just get off of our chests, or maybe we haven't prayed to Jesus in a really long time, or maybe never, um, this is a time to just kind of be able to say, God, I, uh, I don't quite know what to say, but I pray that you would just, uh, just help me out with blank or that you would see me in blank and just kind of feel free to share with Jesus whatever you would like to share. Um, and then I would invite anyone who is uh, able to say that they are able to put just that slightest bit of faith 
in Jesus, that slightest bit of faith that says, I see Jesus as the one who has died for my sins, who has has committed to me, who cares for me, and who will see me to the end, and who I will trust in to the end. If you're able to put that tiny bit of faith in, we would invite you to take the Lord's Supper, because, you know, I like to end all of my sermons by saying this, but we... uh, we don't, we don't create space here just for the best and brightest in God's kingdom. Uh, Jesus himself said the, the sick are the ones who need a hospital, but not the healthy. And when he was saying that, he wasn't acknowledging that there were healthy Christians and there were unhealthy Christians. He was saying, if you think that you're healthy, you just don't realize how much need you truly have. And so we want to say that... Uh, as we recognize that our worship really does fall short, I want to invite you into seeing that Jesus took every failure that we could stomach, every failure that will ever encapsulate our lives, and he died and he bore that cross and he bore the pain and the suffering of those sins so that you could stand face to face and say uh, and say that you care for him. And so I would invite you up if you have that little bit of faith. Um, Yeah, so we're going to take two minutes and pray now. Um, I'll start us off, and then we'll have two minutes of silence, and then feel free to come up to the table and uh, join us in song. Father in heaven, we thank you for your uh, tremendous mercy over us. God, we, we know in every ounce of our beings every day that we fall short of your goodness. We know that we fall short of your grace and your kindness. We know that you deserve better We know that the people in our lives deserve better. We know that our loved ones deserve to be loved by someone better. We know that our friends deserve better friends. Like we know that in every area we are not doing as hot as we should. We know there's things that we've done that we shouldn't have done. We know that there's things that we didn't do that we should have done. But Lord, we recognize that Jesus bore um, all of our failures, all of our shortcomings um, on the cross We know that he uh, looked on all of the people who were caught in their sin and he looked at them with compassion and he looks at us with compassion to this day. So Jesus, would you please have mercy on us? Would you please accept our prayers of confession so that we can stand and not let these uh, feelings of shame bear us down, but to only feel courage and strength by knowing that you have forgiven us for our sins and that you are restoring us and that you are making us whole again. Um, So please help us now to pray.